Did you ever think you would make it? I feel I'm so close, I could take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value taming, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to haters. Now they run, homie, look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. I'm Patrick Bedev, your host of Item, and here's a question I got for you. When you go to your bedroom, and you're there with your loved one, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. What kind of music do you put on? Because millions of people play the song, If I Ever Fall In Love Again by Shy. And if you know this song, I'm somebody that followed these guys for many, many years back in the 90s. This is more a passion type of an interview for me. So you're either going to like this, love this, or you're going to say, I know nothing about these guys. But if you love 90s R&B, you're going to love today's interview. Shy, they're here with me today. An interesting stat to give you guys, if you don't know about the folks I got here today, Darnell Van Rensselaer and Garfield Bright. Here's what you need to know about them. When they came up, I think it was in 92, and they hit the Billboard Top 100, their song was number two for eight weeks straight. The only other song that was number two for eight weeks straight, I think, was by uh, Foreigner. Foreigner was number two for eight weeks straight. They had the one song by Foreigner, uh, uh, one of the songs that was eight weeks straight. And the number one song at that time, just so everybody knows, was by who? By Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston's song... Uh, uh, what, which one was it? It was... Um, I Will Always Look, Bodyguard I, Soundtrack? But the, the soundtrack from the movie, right? The yep. Bodyguard Soundtrack. Yep. So listen, if you're going to be number two to anybody, it's the great Whitney. Gentlemen, yep. thank you so much for being a guest on Valuetainment. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us, man. man. Why would you go with Goliath when you could vet David? That's the dopest live right there. That's the thing. So <laughs> are you going to like the fact that you gave him that? But look, you know, I have a scientific question for you guys. Before we get into any serious stuff, I want to ask a very, very serious question from you guys just to kind of see how you answer this. You know, uh, uh, there was a heavy-duty study done by Harvard University, and I was looking at it. I thought it had a lot to do with you guys, and I want to know your take on this. There was a study done in the mid-'90s okay. by Harvard University, very, very extensive uh, study done, that said, um, th that said the song, If I Ever Fall in Love Again, contributed to increasing the population by 6.2 <laughs> million people. Mm. How much... How much facts is there behind that research, or did I just make it up? Listen, how's oh it feel knowing? How's it feel knowing you've been in so many people's bedroom? You are probably number one on the baby making music. How's that feel knowing you have one of those songs? That is, uh, you, it's something that you never like. It, it's surreal at all times just to be a part of somebody's soundtrack of their life, their coming of age development, and they know you and your face, and they have an emotional attachment to you and you don't even know the people you know so you know and, and when we go perform in front of people it, it, that very thing is edified and we you just can never get used to something like that it's just bigger than you <laughs> but it's yeah. like uh american idol would always call us and let us know that our song was like the number one most performed song audition wise for them and stuff like year after year after year and it's incredible man it became a classic song and we just you know thank god we were a part of something like that yeah Yes. So, so let me ask you for you guys, you know, the other day I was watching, um, remember when Eddie Murphy came back on SNL and he was performing, this was like a few months ago, was it two, three months ago when he came back, six months ago, he came back and I was watching him and he looked a little awkward. I don't know if you guys saw that or not. If you haven't seen it, you got to go watch it. Yeah, I got to check him like out. The same old Eddie Murphy. I'm watching. I'm like, I don't know, Paul, I'm just not feeling it. I, I just don't think it's the same Eddie. And then I watch Martin Lawrence, you know, Martin Lawrence act, and I'm watching some of his stuff. I said to myself, 
the movie that just came out, Part Three, Bad Boys Three. Yeah, yeah. And I'm watching Martin. I'm like, you know what? I also don't feel uh, that it's the same old Martin the way he acts. And then for me, uh, there was a song I used to listen to by MC Light. Remember MC Light, Keep On, Keep, yeah, keep yeah. On, from Sunset Park. Remember MC Light? She was a, she oh, was a beast. Gonna, we, first of all, let's establish, we hip-hop heads. We grew up in the golden era. So, you, so you're going to teach me? I'm the student here. Hey, man, come <laughs> on, man. So, so but, the, but the question I wanted to ask you guys is when I watch Murphy and I watch Martin and I see Case, uh, you know, uh, MC Light, is as life changes, you know, Eddie Murphy's jokes to him, maybe in the 80s, to him in the 2020s, like kids, grandkids, kind of like, well, you know, I made some of these, you know, things I said, or some of these guys. Do you, are you guys evolved in a point where you're like, well, you know, the R&B, love making, all this kind of music that we made, are you uncomfortable with that? Are you very comfortable with the art that you produce? Because sometimes I see the artists changing. And the fan, the fan is kind of connected to the 1992 artist. Right, right. How do you process that as the artist? Man, we were so fortunate that as young guys, um, we had the opportunity to go to Howard University. And, you know, there were adult situations that we found ourselves in, in, in a controlled environment like that, that allowed us to come of age. But kind of like, kind of like look at it metacognitively, understanding how we thought about what we thought and that allowed us to, to be writers with a different kind of conscious. Um, like as a fashion designer, you always, you know, or people who do anything, you want to make it timeless if you can. You don't want to, you don't want to get caught up in the fad aspect of things. And if your thing can be streamlined enough and essential enough, it can transcend the time that it's in. And um, because of that, we we're talking about having your best friend become your lady. Make sure that your lady is a friend. And that kind of a theme is not anything overtly sexual or, or anything that's trendy that, that as young men, we can express that with no problem. But as 50 year old men, that's kind of like, uh, no, we can always talk about being friends before lovers. And I so, love that. Man, I love you. You have no idea how much I love hearing that because that art to me, when you listen to RME, like guys come into the end, they're like, Pat, you know, how much of the RME today do you follow? And I know this may, you guys probably follow it. I have zero interest in today's RMB. When I tell you <laughs> zero, I tell you, I have zero interest in today's RMB. Or even some of the hip hop. I'm more hip hop from the Tupac days, the Biggie days, the even Andre 3000, Outcast. Yeah, I like those right guys. Here. I like Nas. I like those guys. I can't do it today because I think what you guys did during. I'm not. I'm not taking anything away from the guys today, but uh, love love songs R&B 90s are very different, man. They're emotional. Like you feel them when you listen to it. You know. Yeah. Do, do you guys still listen to your own songs? I know you're performing all the time, but do you listen to yourself or is it kind of weird to listen to yourself? Go ahead, D. You know, we got a lot of stuff actually that, you know, didn't get to the radio stuff that, you know, we like some of our demo stuff, some of our B-side stuff. So we still listen to ourselves and some of our contemporaries, Jodeci and SWV and Silk and H-Town. Yeah, you know, yeah. H-Town. Wow. That's my, well, that's, those were my friends. And I'm down here in Houston now. So, in Houston, you know, right now. That's right. I've been, I've been hanging out with those brothers. And actually, we get a song together that, that's, that's hopefully going to come out soon. Let me tell you, that one song, Good Nut and Body Rockin' Knockin' Boot. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, that song, man, <laughs> that was something else when it came out. Right. You know, they, they, had a, they had good things going on. So so have you, when you were coming up, when it first hit, when, when, if I ever fall, I, I'm going to get to the other ones as well, but when, if I ever fall in love again, when you performed it and it went out, when did you know, like, guys, this is it. Like, 
this has taken off. When did you know, like, the audience fully received that song? Man, we, we, it was kind of an instant thing. Um, it was just one of those things in life that the, 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 the feedback was instantaneous because the nature of radio back then was phone call driven. Um, in terms of how the playlists were selected. Now you have the big corporate entities dictating what you know is played with little wiggle room for the program director to flex their personal taste. But back then you could call in and request your favorite song. And so of course we acted like about 30 different people requesting it, but it, it picked, it had legs of its own. And when it started getting played in regular rotation on the P1, which is the larger radio stations um, from which other radio uh, outlets copied the, their playlists, we kind of had an inkling that, hey, without a record label, we're getting radio airplay. And because of that radio airplay, because of the nature of the stations, um, we're charting now without being signed. And so no, by no means have we hit it big or anything, but just those, 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 those earmarks, those different you know, red, the things to look at, those, those, those pieces allowed us to see what it could be. And when we got signed, we kind of knew based on that energy that we were probably going to get well rotated, well played, and, and and that's what happened. We crossed over without trying to cross over because of the nature of the song was not a like I said, it was some black guys. Um, it wasn't necessarily pop. It was just, just a heartfelt song that people could relate to, and it was a cappella, so there was no attention paid to some track or anything. It was just straight from the heart to people's ears, and that that being between two other songs yeah. allowed us to be embossed in that rotation. So we kind of knew, and then you know. Our label sent us overseas as soon as we got signed, so we didn't get to feel the energy of America just yet, and we hadn't had a video. So it wasn't until we came back to the United States after our promotional tours overseas. When we came back, we came straight to New York, the epicenter of, of just trendsetting in America at that time. And they embraced us. And you know, New York crowd is, you know, if, you could, if people in New York embrace you, 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 you've broken your own record, pretty much. And that's what happened. We came back to New York. We did a show in a mall, for crying out loud. But the mall was so huge. I mean, we thought it was cheap. It, it, we still thought we were like the Howard kids about to perform in the mall. But this particular mall was this incredibly huge mall that was well attended. It was like thousands of people overhanging over the banisters. It was made like the embassy suites where you had the banisters and you could look mm -hmm. over. And man, everybody in that place was singing our song. The energy was just incredible. And that day is when we realized like, yo, did, have we made it? Are we here? You know? <laughs> You know, but later on, it, it, it came to pass that um, that when I look back on it, that was the day that kind of started it off, I think, in, in, in America for us. That was that day. That Darnell, was that, was that the same thing for you when you're thinking back, looking back at the, the, the time where you kind of felt like, I think our song is bigger than we thought it would be? You know, it's funny because I'm a, I was a music major. I played trumpet, you know what I mean? So I was, I was in a marching band. I've been in a marching band in high school. So... I'm really a band guy. And of course, you know, getting a record deal and being on the road and hearing our song on the radio gave me that feeling like, man, you know, this song is a classic, you know, we've made it. But for me, when I saw Florida A&M Marching 100 play, if I ever, <laughs> <laughs> on tubas, I said, man, we made it. That's cool. It. Yeah. That's cool because you're in that world. So for you, that's kind of like, you know, look at these guys. They're playing our song. How much after the song came out did that happen? Well, a few bands started playing it. Matter of fact, one of the highlights when we first uh, started promoting our song back then in 92, we did a little uh, performance with Grambling's marching band mm -hmm. at the 
was called which the Bayou. Which is big, by the way. That's very big. Yep. At the Bayou Classic, Bayou too. Classic, which is, yep. Yeah, between Grambling and Southern. You know, big uh, classic game. So, That's big. to me, personally, just the arranger for FAMU's band, the size of them. There were other bands playing it, but I would say about five years down the line when it got to FAM, then I was like, yes. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's cool. And and let me ask you, had, had you guys at that time already, uh, 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 and this, this is an innocent question, but this is what a lot of men and boys will probably be thinking about. Prior to that song coming out, were you guys, had you guys already had plenty of experiences with women partying, having a good time? Or did it kind of escalated 20 levels above what you had done prior to the song? Well, coming out of Howard you, University. You gotta know, I, I understand we're in our 40s right now. We're in, the, you know, maybe early 50s, or 40s. But to the 22-year-old, he's going to look back and want to know a little bit of details <laughs> of what it was like when the song took off. No, just period. During that time, you know, arguably the golden era of the, 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 the renaissance of the R&B group no and the hip-hop golden era period, those two overlapped and there was a lot of, you know, uh, sexual energy because of, you know, people, the youth culture had produced artists that were the first wave of kind of like icons in the new youth culture. And that was kind of like looked at as, you know, sexy for a lot of women and stuff like that. And so for sure, like all the artists pretty much, you know, in that day and age had, you know, just like the athletes and stuff, people, they were, you know, proverbial groupies or, things of that nature, but it really boiled down to just, I think people in that moment understood the dynamic nature of the type of music that we were doing. The fact that each group was a one of one, like Shy was not Jodeci, Jodeci was not Silk, Boys and Men was not, you know, Mint Condition. And then everybody had quality music that we all enjoy, SWV, like when we, our first tour was the Budweiser Superfest and yeah, there were groupies in hotel lobbies, but the highlights of those tours were when I, got through performing, we get to sit, stand on, on the side of the stage and watch SWV perform with their band and still perform with their band. Like our peers, we were fans of our peers. And um, they were also the backdrop to our coming of age. We literally grew up together. We were all like 20, 21 years old. When That's we so cool, got man. These deals and, that you know, is so cool hearing that. Yeah, so it was like, and we didn't have beef with each other and stuff like that. It was like, like our tour bus broke down. <laughs> and H-Town picked me up, you know, um, SWV picked us up a couple of times when our tool belts broke down. And I saw something Jodeci was talking a little smack in one of the videos. I'm like, I saw Jodeci saying some stuff. Look at these guys. You know, they got a tall guy like this guy. And got, <laughs> I don't know if you saw that clip. Yeah, you know, that competition. But we considered Jodeci and Boys and Men like ahead of us. Like before we even got our deal, I respect we were that. actually in the mirror singing Jodeci songs and, and Boys and Men songs. You know, me and Darnell, I was... I was playing the role of KC. Darnell was doing that sweet jo JoJo voice. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of respect for those guys, even though, you know, I, I know about the interview and stuff like that. But, you know, we were young and all that kind of stuff and everything. You know, I'm sure. Well, I would hope they don't harbor those feelings. But, but Highly you know, doubted. Myself and KC and JoJo and, and, and Dalvin, I, you know, I don't know how Devontae feels, but I got respect for him. He's a Libra like me, and the boy is bad on, on musically and stuff like that. But um, You're yeah, a Libra just, yourself? You're a Libra? I'm October the 12th, man. Yeah, I'm a You're 12th. I'm, we're six days apart, man. I'm October uh, 18th. My mom is the 16th. That's crazy, Pat. You know, <laughs> you know, the best people are Libras. I don't know if you're the best human <laughs> beings in the world are Libras. This is proven. Darnell, you know it. When's your birthday, Darnell? Let's see when your birthday is. Taurus. We just oh, had one. So April what? May oh. 17th. Oh, May 17th. Taurus is right. Mm -hmm. So he's a Taurus. Yep, Brown versus Board of Education Day. He, he's so, 
So Taurus is are extremely stubborn, man. When you guys, you know, we, a very interesting uh, community of people are Tauruses. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my guy, though. And, and his stubbornness helped us out a whole You need lot that in business. You need that in business. 100% you need that. that in business. It's very yes. effective for somebody on the team to uh, be stubbornly uh, determined to get something done. It's very hard that's to that find. That guy right yeah, because Libras have a different personality and Tauruses have a very different personality. Very interesting right there. So so when you guys were going back and you think about, the, you know, you brought up the bands, Jodeci, all these other guys, and you're listening to them. Was that almost like a playbook at that time on how to pick up and put a band together? Or what was the, if you were to say, this is how typically bands were started or groups were started together. What what is what is the commonality amongst different groups that got started? Whether it's yourselves, Joe to see Blackstreet, Boys to Men, you name any of those guys. Is there a certain set of formula, or everybody has a different story? Yeah, I think. I mean, we had a different story for sure. But I think you know, you get around guys who are like minded musically, or you know, we bounce off each other well, writing and music wise, and then performance wise, and then you kind of feel it start building in the harmony and yeah i'm sure like that's that's how it was for us so i'm sure with the other guys there was a similar kind of you know union and feeling each other out and realizing they vibe well together creatively and um such to the point where they felt like hey we we, we got something that we can share with the world you know what i mean and that's how we felt it was it was a trip because back then it seemed to me when i look at it a lot of the groups were organically, um, you know, they came together organically with the exception of maybe like an in Vogue who kind of got, they won contest in division and got put, put together by Foster. Um, what's my man's name? Foster, like uh, McElroy or something like that. But um, us, Shy, um, if you look at groups like Silk, Jodeci is two sets of brothers that grew up in the church um, culture together, knew about each other. Um, all of us of H-Town, all of us kind of organically, you know, uh, like boys and men came from the performing arts school, you know, they, they all knew each other in that on those ways and they organically grew up together and Michael Bivens kind of put them on and stuff like that. So there is a commonality in terms of deep tissue connectivity between the, the groups. And I know that affects the sound and everything typically, except for like an invoke who just came out sounding ridiculously incredible without having grown up together and stuff like that. But the rest of us, I knew Darnell, we met in Howard. He was my roommate freshman year. That was the first guy that I knew, you know, me and Darnell at 17 years old at Howard University, day one, that was my guy. So, you know, that took a life of his own. His dad was already the, the, um, the manager of a group called Riff, and he was a guidance counselor at the Eastside High School with Joe Clark and all that, where Darnell actually went. So he had songs before they came out that we were singing to the girl dorms and stuff like that. So we kind of organically were basically practicing for what was going to end up being a singing career without us even knowing it at the time. And, um, and the chemistry itself, you know, like the place where you belong, you mentioned that song. That's, that's a kind of a showcase for me and Darnell. If you really, you know, get down to it, he does the first verse, I do the second verse and it's a contrasting style, but it, 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 it is really emotional and it worked because we were already doing, like I said, I was trying to mimic KC. Of course I could never sing like KC, but I was in the mirror being Casey all day long. <laughs> and him, you know, we had just, we would just watch the five heartbeats and go in the mirror and perform songs. And we would be boys to men, sometimes we'd be Jodeci, but we had that chemistry way back then and it developed and inverted cool. into what it became. And um, now we still stand, <laughs> still doing shy. So let me, let me ask you this, were you guys, uh, uh, did you guys kind of have an idea of saying, I think one day we're gonna be big, were you guys like in a group telling each other and friends, hey guys, one day we're gonna go, one day we're gonna do this. Was there a vision thing or was it accidental? 
Well, did you talk about the beginning portion of like how it came and how? <laughs> okay, well, actually, you know, the, the, uh, the original members, three of us are in a fraternity called Alpha Phi Alpha. We were online pledging, two of us. One of the guys was our big brother. And we realized during that process that we were into music. So when we got offline, we just decided to kind of write songs and just get around the piano and see what comes of it. Carl, one of the members that left, he actually was, I guess, the only one at that time that was thinking about a career in the music industry as a songwriter producer. So, he, but he wrote, he didn't play, he just wrote lyrics. So we kind of arranged the music. He would sing us the lyrics, we would arrange the music, go to the studio, produce it, and just start stockpiling songs to possibly sell. So once we started singing around the piano, working out our songs, Garfield, me and Garfield reconnected because from freshman year, we kind of, you know, started doing our different thing on campus. We were still tight as peas, but we were into different things. And then we kind of caught back up heavy again, like freshman year, right when we were doing this writer, writer thing with my frat brothers. So he started first just coming as my friend coming. And then when we would leave the rehearsal or leave the writing session, he would sing back the songs to me. Like, man, I like that one song you mm. do. And he would sing it to me. And I'm listening to him like, man, this guy can sing a little something. You know what I mean? It's like yep. he wasn't focused on it. So it wasn't, you know, as polished as it became. It was raw, but I can hear it well. So uh, the next session, I put him on the spot. I say, hey, man, G can sing, man. He's holding out on us. <laughs> um, you know, we, we started arranging our harmonies. It was four part. And we heard it. And it, it just started sounding like this is right, man. And so, yeah, go ahead. No, no, oh, go ahead. To, to, add, to add to that, like, you know, a lot of groups that form, you know, they get their feet wet doing sh local shows and kind of establish a following and that kind of. We did one show before we got a record deal. <laughs> you <laughs> gotta be kidding me. It was it was in at Howard in a very hostile crowd because they kind of mimicked the Apollo, this particular venue. It happens every year. It's like a a, a variety show. And it was chock full of talent who eventually got signed. Um, a rapper named Tracy D. You got Sean Allen from a group called Pure Soul. A brother named Eric Robeson from New Jersey that can sing his butt off. That ended up becoming a dope artist. But they all got booed. And so that show was like a litmus test. You know, like if you don't get booed, maybe you can do something. And we went out singing uh, about seven boys and men songs in the medley. And, um, you know, started off with that 10, 9, 8, 7. You know, we did that. Came into it real smooth, so they didn't boo us yet. Knocked that off and went straight. To, <laughs> don't go away, you know. Please don't. Went there. We had them, and by the end of it, man, they 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 wanted us to keep going. So we came out. And we were like, "What are we gonna sing now? We out of songs." And plus, we hadn't got booed yet. I was ready to cut my losses and move because we didn't get booed. Moral victory. But we sung "If I Ever" that night for the first time in front of people. Now, how many people are there, by the way, just to kind of give us perspective? It was crowded. How many people can cramp in the pole, D? I'm thinking at least 800, something like that. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a full capacity, whatever that venue can hold. And the football players and the New York crowd, you know, they're the rowdy ones. They want to boo everybody just to have fun at our expense. Mm -hmm. They didn't boo us. And by the time the chorus came around the second time, the whole crowd was singing If I Ever Fallen In Love. Like they knew it. Like it was a song that was out already. So we went from not getting booed to, the, you know, thanking God for that to like on the stage immediately after the little encore, when we got that energy from that crowd and the curtains closed, we stood there on that square, on that stage, and said, yo, 
y'all want to try to get a record deal? Just like that, no lie. Get out of here. And we mm -hmm. went and we said, yeah. And so we just went for it. And about a week later, we were at the Avenues of America in New York trying to stop at all the different labels and um, sing for them and stuff like that. And that was an interesting experience. No, no, nobody got it, you know, because they thought that the acapella song wouldn't, and it was an original, like we wrote it. It wasn't like how Boy Demir remade that oh, song. Oh, exactly. A known entity or whatever. Yes. So like, I'm not sure program directors are going to, you know. And then it just did its own thing in D.C. And the rest was history on that one. So, but that's Daniel, how Would you add anything to that? Huh? Would you add anything to that? Yeah, it was, so to your question, it was, it was pretty, I wouldn't say accidental, but it was definitely organic and, you know, <laughs> That's cool. to be like stars lined up. That is and now at that time when you guys are doing that, who is the god of R&B at that time? Is it Boyz II Men at that time and Joe Desi, or who who were the main names at they that? They were time? becoming that. Like for us, before we got a deal, they were yeah. who we were looking at. Like I say, youth culture on the hip hop side was was on and popping, but the R&B side was kind of like really really coming of age, getting started with the like Boyz II Men didn't start it, you know, uh, and, and, and but those were the guys who kind of like. In the new age started jumping out in front of everybody. Jodeci and Boys and Men had that. And everybody could find themselves in either the clean cut crooners of the Boys and Men or the sexual kind of like vibe of Jodeci. Between those two, you had everything you needed musically for whatever situation. And so, you know, those guys took 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 that. But you know, we were right I, behind I, it was just I remember You were saying, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. So, so you were saying that the benefit you had back then is the guys on radio could just call in and say, I want to request Shy if I ever fall in love again. So it was kind of controlled by the audience where today it's more controlled by the uh, uh, big corporations on who they want to put up and who they like, right? It's not necessarily all the audience maybe today than before. Although some may say today because of social media, you kind of have the equalizer because you can see who on social media is taking off. Mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, was jukebox a big play of yours or no? Because was was that another? Because remember back in the days, you'd be sitting there like, man, I hope somebody goes and gets the Janet Jackson anytime, any place. I want to see that one more time. You know, just put Sir Mix a lot, whatever one of Sir Mix a lot songs, or you would say, just put If I Ever Fall in Love Again. You know, because you had that going on. Did that kind of help you guys out as well, or not really? It was just another additional, you know, uh, element of your game. Oh yeah, video jukebox, uh, BT, MTV, all of those, man. We, you know, they gave us love. Yeah, they so did. yeah, that 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 helped push us tremendously. <laughs> and radio, like I said, you know, radio, like a lot of like like Jodeci, for instance. At first, they they weren't like a crossover group because they were so urban. Even though everybody in the urban community loved Jodeci, um, but we were a group that was allowed to cross over and still have an urban base. So. In terms of like the people who we were exposed to and the tastes that were made, um, they kind of through us came like you know acclimated to what the new R and B stuff was going to be, and then they found the other groups in that in that way. You know, boys and men paved that way for us, but it, you know it was yeah it was like like Darnell just said. So what what happened what happened with the band? Because I know when I look it up, I see. Uh, 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 the, you you guys are the original. You're you're from the original. There's four of you. You, you said you mentioned Carl earlier, and there's also Mark Gay, I believe, right? Yeah. Mark so that means three of you were part of the. You said three of us were part of the uh, fraternity. fraternity. You were. So what what happened? Because 
almost every single time these bands come together and they're killing it, some events happen when there's a falling out. What happened to your band? Because you guys, for like six years, you were on fire. Well, like I was um, saying earlier, from the beginning, Carl had aspirations on being a songwriter producer. So after that first album, you know, he ended up getting a lot of credits, you know, uh, for producing and writing. Um, so he, I guess, wanted to parlay that into, you know, a, a, a solo career songwriter producer ASAP. So almost kind of like that we got a second album, a uh, second album out of him was good. You know, <laughs> he, he was ready to go from the gate. Really? So yeah. He was ready to go from the gate. Yeah, like he said, he came into it like, I'm a writer producer. My first, you know, stamp on the industry happens to be my group to show you what I do, but immediately I'm ready to go out and produce and write for other people, like from the gate. Got it. So, um, and then also too, um, it was some internal stuff with the label. We happened to come at a time where, you know, uh, right after our first album, I think they got bought out by Seagrams or- Yeah, Edgar Bronfman bought out MCA. Yeah, and that whole staff, all of the field reps, all of the radio reps, all of the artist development, all the people that worked our first album, a lot of them just got fired. They brought in new staff. And so by the time our second album came, you know, new people, they have a new agenda. They probably brought some artists with them. They, you know, so it was just and like. Then that, that turned over again. Like they fired them. Yeah. And during our project, it was maybe like two or three turnovers. <laughs> Doing so, that. so, so, in short, just the business, the business of it. You know what I mean? Some people right. can navigate the business, and their interests are alike and aligned to where they can still keep moving collectively. Yeah. Sometimes it gets too, you know what I mean? Got to directions, and that was. So, what's case. Mark up to? So, so what did it? Because I couldn't find anything on 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 Carl or Mark today. Like when I search names on on Google or YouTube or interviews. I didn't see nothing with Carl Martin, and uh, I couldn't find anything with. But I found a lot with Shy with the two of you. Mm -hmm. What happened to them? What did they do afterwards? Well, Mark, you know, Mark. Um, it's funny because uh, Mark is now married to the young lady who was in our video that we did at Howard University. Baby, I'm yours. Like mm -hmm. they fortuitously met back up in life, like and got married. Like the leading lady of the video wow. is crazy. But it, I know Mark had gone through real estate stuff, courses. I, I think he got his license. And, um, you know, he was a zoology major at, at Howard and got his degree. And um, that was one of the iffy things that we didn't know if Mark was going to come be in the group or if he was going to graduate first and stuff like that. That was a big deal for him back in those days. But um, um, I think this, the, the real estate thing is what he kind of like primarily attached himself to. And I'm sure he's still doing some like music somewhere because he was talented and you can't just not do that if you've been doing it you can play and what is carl doing today like uh, since then do you guys know what carl's doing or no i don't know the last i think he was some kind of tech type of he has some kind of tech job or some kind of tech work that he does it type of stuff I'm, you know i might be i'm definitely paraphrasing and lumping it and you know rounding it off but i think he has something to do with that and um, you know, and I'm sure he still has an itch for music and stuff like that because he could really write and that kind of thing. So you know, but we haven't really kept tabs on Carl like me at all. At yeah, all, I, I don't really keep up with him. But Mark, you know, like he had his baby a couple of years back. I, I got him. His baby got his first Timberland skull cap and his first Timberland shoes for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, 
But yeah, you know, like I said, there 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 things in life that kind of like you know you see you saw the movie Five Heartbeats. You know, life is not life can be asymmetrical the way people grow, and it's never you know, and how you handle that and deal with that and recognize that in the moment dictates where it ends up. But that guy over there and I, we 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 were like I guess like true brothers that you know might have even transcended the fraternal thing that he had with the other guys. We were just cut from the same cloth, both from urban type of environments growing up in high school, both hip hop, more hip hop head kind of brothers. Our experiences were like similar and we were like forged and fired together by being roommates and going through the coming of age stuff together. Then we get into this platinum group and still keep going together. And now we 50 and still, you know, connected at the hip. So that, that, that's something that, that we're blessed to be a part of. You know? Indeed. That that's uh, again. Everybody has a different story, but I'm always curious to know what happens when when you go back to the song. If I ever fall in love, whose whose main voices are there that were? I know your face. Like if I go on YouTube right now and I type in "If I ever fall in love," the thumbnail is your face. You're on there. It's 77 million views. I mean, but when you listen to it, whose whose voice is which one? I'm curious because I can't figure it out when I'm watching it. Well, Carlson, the first verse. And then Darnell is the, the guy doing the chorus. That's Darnell's pretty voice. And then he, the high note, that's Darnell. Um, and then the little, the ma, 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 that's me. And then, um, you know, and then, you know, that's, that's how it flowed. And then the little harmonies, fugues and stuff, everybody. But typically, Shy, when, when we did songs, and, unless it was a song that one person brought to the table, which is rare, like If I Ever Was One of Those, Together Forever, I think was one that Mark had in high school, we brought to the table. But usually we will sit down almost like hip hop artists. Somebody would come up with a hook and then we'll basically pinpoint who we thought vo vocally would sound good on the song. And that person would then write his verse. Um, and when you heard somebody singing, most of the time they wrote their part. You know what I mean? So I'm going to play the acapella because I just want to listen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't get to So that. Carl. That's Carl. That's Carl. You're doing harmony. I Doing this a cappella? Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Oh my god! That's Carl. Sky. Still Carl. With the first, yeah. Then here comes Darnell. That's Darnell. Yeah. Darnell, you're kidding? It's Darnell. <laughs> Bad boy, right there. <laughs> you listening to this? Oh my God! <laughs> That's insane to me. And then Gar Garfield, you're coming up. You're coming up here. That's you. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Right here, man. Say it. Let's go another game. One and only. I get the chills, man. You know, for you, it's just a song. <laughs> to me, it's like, I've listened to this thing. I don't know, man. I think every single one of my kids are sponsored by you guys, just so you know. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and by the way, you know, a lot of times people, uh, what's your favorite out of all of them, by the way? If you were to say the one you like the most, because to me, it was always a close between uh, If I Ever Fall In Love and Comforter. I know a lot of people are not, Comforter is not their number one. For me, it was very close because Comforter is a... Uh, um, 
interesting song. And then you got obviously Baby I'm Yours. Right. Uh, and then The Place Where You Belong, which was in which was a Beverly Hills Cop 3. What, what yep. you That's it. That's it. What's what's your favorite out of these songs? Well, it's interesting because Comforter was a song that the label did not want to put out. In fact, they wanted to prove us brash, young, challenge-oriented rookies wrong based on we thought we knew the industry and they knew the industry and they wanted to show us that no nah, comforter but what was happening was they were the label because we were um being pushed towards the big pop stations yeah we were alienating our black music base so the black radio stations we weren't going through those and doing walkthroughs and sit downs and they were kind of getting mad at us so we knew we had an urban song when we knew the pulse of the black community was kind of like letting us know yeah if i was dope man but that comforter joint that com you know so we told the label look man the pulse of the streets you know for your marketing department put out comforter next and they were dead set on putting Baby I'm Yours out next, but they was like, okay, we'll show you. And they let Comforter go with minimal you know, money put behind it. Um, they didn't really do the stuff that they usually do at radio and all that. And Comforter still kind of had his own legs and went gold without any really real support at all. It was just purely the fans. And so that also, because they couldn't say I told you so, they still put Baby I'm Yours after that. But I think if they hadn't put Comforter out second, we would only had two singles off the album, which would have been If I Ever and Baby I'm Yours. They would have stopped it. Maybe you let us do another album or not. But we got three singles out the deal just because they wanted to prove us wrong with Comforter, which happened to end up being one of our biggest songs. And it was in the top 10 and stuff like that. And um, yeah. Now, so. I, I just want to play a clip because for some people that maybe, you know, they're younger, they don't know what it is. This is this is Comfort. You got to hear this. I mean, it's just, you know, it's like you would bring a girl over to your place. And you would say, look, I just want you to know, there's a couple rules I have if I'm bringing you back to my place. What's that? We don't kiss, no sex, nothing. But just let me play one song for us to get in the mood of having a good conversation together. And you would play this. I mean, by the time it's over, you broke the two rules. <laughs> I, see you over there. I see your game over there. It's pretty smooth. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And tell me what's on your mind. This is just something else. So for you guys, you, you got you got a lot of them. Which one of them is your favorite? I'm curious. I'm actually curious because for an artist, it's tough to say which one's their favorite. But what's your favorite? Because it's like your baby. What's your favorite out of these songs? Man, I was, yeah. yeah. I mean, if I ever, it has a special place because you you see the fan reaction when you perform that. You hear the stories, like you said, of man, that song was the first time I met my wife or that was the song we got married to. So it has a special place. Um, there's another song we did with Jay-Z called Tonight. And to have, like like Garfield said, we're hip hop heads. So to have the legendary Molly Maul produce that, number one. And then to have Jay-Z, who was a hot young artist, trailblazing at that time to get on our track. Three versions. Three verses, right, exactly. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I'm still kind of like wow. mad. The label didn't really promote that like they should have. But, anything. yeah, that's a gem that we just have, like a special one. Like That's cool. You're right, artists did a joint with the, the great Jay-Z. <laughs> let me give you some context about that, man, just so you can understand how we are coming through this industry. Like, at that point in time, the turnover was crazy within the black music department. And they had just gotten these new cats, um, Harrell, Harold, uh, whatever his, what was his name be? Harold, Dave Harold, Harrelson? Yeah, Dave. So he was in there now. And 
you know, we had a relationship. We want to do a remix to I Don't Want to Be Alone. That was like the second single that we had on, on Blackface. And um, we contacted our manager at the time, independently, not the label. Our manager contacted Marley Maul somehow. And he's like, all right, yeah, okay, I'll do a remix for you guys. Um, I got a, a, a guy I want to put on there. And so we got the track, and the track was that, you know, from like we hip-hop heads, so Nobody Beats the Biz was something that we listened to back in the day. Nobody Beats the Biz. Boom, 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 doo, doo, doo. And that was the track he was letting us rock on. He was like, whoa, we get to rock on Nobody Beats the Biz. So me and D happened to write that. And um, he got this new artist who had just come out named Jay-Z, who his only song, I think, at the time was uh, Ain't No Blank with Foxy Brown. And, um, you know, he, he, he jumped on it. And um, he was the face of Hot 97 at the time, and Marley Maul helped, helped, helped us blow that up. But we only paid $5,000 at the time out of our own pocket because the label was not trying to support this endeavor. So we scraped up our little 5000 gave it to Marley Maul. He put his guy named Jay-Z on there. And because he was the head radio guy at Hot 97, cool. he, it was in his interest because he was his project. He played the song like ridiculous. And it was number one, Hot 88 in New York for some crazy amount of weeks, maybe eight weeks there too. And um, But the label, because we paid for it, not them, because we sought it out, not them. They weren't politically invested and they didn't do a video for it. Now imagine Shy and Jay-Z had a video <laughs> for that song. They didn't do a video for it. Nah, they didn't want to do a video for it. Because at the time they were kind of trying to like get us off the label. Like we had some political stuff going on. Our album was called Blackface. And you know, Blackface harkens <laughs> back to Al Jolson and those types of things. But we were trying to twist it. We had a, a statement that said, inside of your own face is a black face and black, in that way, we were kind of like, was like euphemistic for um, pure, for, for good. And we wanted to switch the narratives coming from Howard University, you know, with black meaning the opposite, devil food cake and all that kind of stuff. So that was our way of kind of giving back in a creative way, taking a stance, kind of innocuous, but not in a label kind of thing on the low to issue with that. And um, they put our album out before they put a single out for Blackface. And they didn't let the stores write on the bulletin board that Shy's coming on November or whatever. The album was just sitting there for like a month before a single even came out. Usually the single comes out for like a month and a half and whets the appetite, then they drop the album. It was the opposite. So the albums were being sent back to the label because nobody knew they were there. And then a single came out and when the people came to the store finally to get the single, it was already shipped back. And even with all that, Blackface still out the gate went gold. But uh, a lot got sent back before it even got to sell. So I'm sure that would have been platinum too if it was another way. But those are the types of things. But the Marley Mall thing, we kind of created that. And thank God, because like a lot of the DJs now kind of mark each other, you know, in, in terms of rank. You know, you got that Jay-Z shot joint, you know what I mean? Because it's kind of a little collector's <laughs> item now, you know. But That's cool. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. What is, the, what is the place where you belong rank for you? I love that song. That's one of the songs that we perform that first when we come out. It has tempo to it. And like I said, that's me and my brother Donnell rocking. You know what I mean? But I, I have to give credit where it's due. Carl and this guy named Trey Lorenz. I don't know if you remember Trey Lorenz. Incredible singer. Um, they wrote that. They got together and they, they wrote that. Some Mariah Carey? Yeah. yeah, Mariah Carey. And he's in other places I hear his voice. And I think he was with Group Theory, maybe a male somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, okay. Yeah, Bryce and them. Yeah, um, Tell Me What You Wanted, whatever that song is. But yeah, he, we were in Hawaii and, they, and we kind of met him and then we came back to the States. Carl and him kind of went into the lab and, and that came out of it. And then once we recorded it and put our funk on it, you know, it became one of our favorite songs. But at the time, I remember people at the label kind of like not feeling it because it was so different at that time than If I Ever or Comforter. It was tempo where the others were slow, love type of stuff. 
Um, but after a while, man, we had an overwhelming response from, from the public because it was so emotional. You know, Darnell coming up there, misery. You know, that just set the tone, and I, and I love to hear that. You know? Walk away from me. I mean, that song is just, you know, I, I. You know, it's crazy. This video didn't do that well. I mean, I don't know how it did right. for you guys as a song, but when I look at like six hundred thousand views, are you kidding me? You know, this ought to have fifty million, a hundred million. Well, the part of it was the movie. When the movie started, to yeah. Do that, yeah. The, 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 oh, the, I got it. Took money off the promotion, and then our label I took money off the promotion. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> here's the opening, Darnell. Yeah. Dude, it's a great song. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's that's a sick song. I mean, listen, here's what's crazy. People ask me what songs I work out to. Obviously, you can't work out to if I ever fall in love. You can't. But I can work out to this. I don't know why this fires me up. Because this, to me, I can work out to in the bedroom and I can work out to at the gym. It's a very, it's a crossover song for me. <laughs> you are ridiculous. That's right. That's right. There's something about it. The beat is also, you know, it kind of moves you. It's not a... Sick, man. <laughs> oh, Donna, let's hear your voice, man. Let's hear your voice, Lily. Give us something. Right here in my arms, without you, something is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now, hey, you know, for some of us who don't have a voice, for some of us who don't who don't have a voice. We wonder if those who have a voice, how often their girl says, can you sing to me? You know, can you, can you do a lyric to me? Can you do something to me? How often does that happen to you guys over the last, you know, since you've been singing? Darnell, Garf, how, how often does that happen to you? Can you sing a lyric for me? Does that happen often? Um, it used to. Then, I, you know, I started asking for pay, and then it just kind of slowed down a little bit. <laughs> oh man that's classic that's classic so so for you guys uh, when you think about r&b uh, uh i like what you said uh garfield when you said you're also a fan of the game because you're coming up with everybody yeah what 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 were some of the songs for you that leveled you and stopped you i can tell you songs that oh, stopped yeah. me it's three songs that stopped me what were some songs that completely leveled you when you heard it you said oh my gosh what is this all about my favorite, my favorite group is Mint Condition. So they have a song that's not even their main single. Like, I liked all their singles, but they had a song called 10 Million Strong. That thing, every time I play it, it's like the first time. And it, and it just kicks me all in my teeth, man. Like, Stokely, eh, 10 Million Strong is one of those songs. And then um, that um, song, SWV had a song. Like, all their songs were hits. But when they came out with that Human Nature um, remix with Teddy Riley, and then when they came out with that... Um, What's the guy, the guitar player, they go, oh, what's that guy that plays the guitar? Well, that melody, that rain melody that they did, that um, Pastore, um, Jaco Pastora, that's his name. He's a guitar the guy. He, that's his melody to one of his things. And um, that song just floors me too, man. But This one? Um, rain by SWV. This or no? Mm -mm, not that one. Not this one? 
and Shelby B. Jaco Pastore. Well, Jaco, no, the song is called Rain, but Jaco Pastore, I did the, um, did the musical lick that they use for the verses, came from him. Rain. Yeah. Yeah, I remember this. That's sick. This is one of yours. Ooh, that's sick right there. That's sick right there. That's sick, man. Big up to, to, to them, man. I don't know. How about yourself? Songs that stopped you. You know what? It's been so many, man. But I'll tell you one recently how you were speaking about how music started changing and you felt yourself not being able to tune in to the I new song. I know what it is. So, yeah, I'm driving down the highway one day feeling, you know, pissed off about the direction of music. Yes. And it was a song called Lions, Tigers, and yes. Bears. Yes. Yes. Lions, Tigers, and Bears. Jasmine Sullivan. Jasmine Sullivan. I mean, the musician, the that arrangement, the, what was that, a harp they used? I mean, just to use a harpy type of plucky harp sound in R&B. Wow. I've never heard this before. Now that's 10 years old, by the way. This is not a new song. Right. Yeah, I checked out about 10 years ago almost till she saved me with that one. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Any other song? Because, uh, you, you know, you, you're someone that, you, you know, you, uh, you, you, got a, you got a ridiculous voice yourself. Who else is it for you that stopped you? Don't forget take, about Bilal, D. I know you was- Oh, Bilal. I mean, Take Six? Yeah, oh my God, yes. You know, when take they six. came out- I gotta see what's Take Six, man. I don't oh, know. Oh, wow. Fred Love and- Fred Love. And like, eight, like eighths and sixths in the harmony structure and stuff. Claude McKnight, Brian McKnight's brother is a part of that. This? Anything well, acapella. acapella to me is just insane to be able to pull it off. Because acapella, when you do acapella, you're naked. Yeah. You, know, you can, you can, and for, I mean, to understand like in music, like when you're, when you're doing acapella, you can sometimes hide behind the, you know, the music or whatever instruments that are playing. It's easy to hide behind it sometimes when you perform it. But if you do an acapella, you are, you screw it up. Everyone's going to catch it. Up, no risk. Very risky. <laughs> And I got pledged, Patrick. I got pledged in the group, man, because, you know, I, like he said, I was very raw and I was a, a bystander basically as they were rehearsing. So I was picking up, you know, some stuff. But when I had, had to enter the fray and really do it, the, the, the notes that I was intuitively hearing to end certain, resolve certain chords on was, was the wrong one. And I had to memorize where they wanted me to go to fit into the harmonic. Man, you know how hard that was to do, and then the <laughs> performance ready. And then as soon as I'm getting the hang of it, we got a record deal, and now we're on Arsenio Hall show. I'm like, Jesus, now I got to sing right, Comfort Alive? Like, wait a minute, hold up. <laughs> it, it, was so, it was so fast, but yeah, I, I got pledged in that group, man. That's cool. So uh, all time right now, if I would ask you, greatest R&B band of all time, who would you say? Top five. And you rank them. I know you guys talk about this, because in sports, 
we'll say greatest baseball player, greatest football player, great, you know, the goat in basketball is Jordan. No, it's this guy. Are we talking about the 90s or you just talking about R&B groups? Like, well, to know. me, the goat, the, all of them are in the 90s. In the 90s. But, okay. but anyways, let's just stick to, let's just stick to 90s. 90s. Uh, you know, if you want to go into 2000, it's fine. But 90s, 2000, who would you say top five best R&B uh, singers or bands? You can, if you want to go Keith Sweat, Rod, Tevin Campbell, some stuff that maybe people don't know about, you pick and choose. Well, some of them groups had some beasts in them, like singer vocally wise. Like all the groups actually had somebody in there that was ridiculous. Like Silk with, with Lil G. Then you had like, uh, of course, Jodeci with JoJo and KC. H-Town with Dino, rest in peace with that voice. Mid Condition with Stokely, who actually, the drummer of Stokely is what he's really, his big, big gift is. He's a drummer. Par excellence. Wow. Um, and then, you know, like- uh, SWV with Coco. SWV with Coco, like she was like a machine. You know right. what I mean? And even Jay, you know, with, with Die, you know, right. like, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then us with Darnell, to me, you know, Darnell was bananas. Um, shoot, all of us had, like, all of us represented the one of one. So um, the top five would be. Who's the GOAT? I mean, there's got to be a GOAT, though. I mean, it's. it's well, I put it in rank. I rank them in order of, like, the old head, like, the, the who came. Like, New Edition was, is our, is our uncles like in that way like you know they kind of really started the renaissance because they was kids when they came out as the group and they grew up with that so you know they kind of started the youth culture when it wasn't a youth culture they were kind of like the group to gravitate yeah. to really. and we grew up with them for real all the artists in this 90s thing we grew up with new edition as our like um just like we grew up with young mike and all that but so i would have to rank them somewhere up there like you know like they kind of like was our old heads you know in that way you know all they offshoots bbd and all that um, and then, but then you can you know, and you got to go with like the record sales and stuff with Boys and Men and Jodeci and what they mean. They got to be up in there. Like, you know, I feel like we got to be up in there too, though. You know what I mean? Like we didn't have this long career and a big body of work. Like a lot of them got a chance to have, but just creativity, um, and just being like a, a one of one in a way that was not typical and then how organically we came together and our sound was just like, it was simple, but not basic. I think that that. Dude, what you, you are you kidding me? You guys killed it. I know you, it's, it's, oh no, I mean you I, guys killed it. Like, but to us, like me. you know, for a guy like me, from the fan standpoint, you're like, what if you guys went seven more years? What if you guys just went five more years? Not even twenty years, you know, because it's hard to do that long. But what if you had a 10, 15 year run? Yeah, if we had had a run like that, I think we'd it'd definitely be a different conversation because we were just growing and hitting our stride as young men as well as our talents. Were like I was just. My voice was finally coming into it. I was just learning. I was just getting the hang of the singing thing and developing a style, you know, because I got to just throw it into this. And I was, you know, and then we didn't get to do an, another album, but as with the four originals. But um, I think that we would definitely have something big to offer and some more hits, definitely, for sure, and stuff like that. But I put us in that top five. I have to, got to represent, but I got to give props to the other crews, too, you know. Darnell, no, 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 who do you have? Uh, who do you have that maybe uh, he, he, Garfield didn't mention? Any names you have? Yeah, just the way he did it, using the criteria he used, you got to give New Edition theirs. You got to give even Boys the Men and Josie theirs because they kind of started our little segment of the, you know, R&B movement, uh, male group movement. Um, there's a group called Riff that Garfield was speaking about earlier. They were in the movie Lean On Me. They sang yep. the school song in the bathroom. Yeah. Man for Man, I think they were probably one of the best groups of all of us, they they, 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 they did a cappella right in the back. Yeah, they, they, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, yeah. Think about it. I remember that. Yeah, they was they serious. 
Yeah, they're serious. They're real underrated. They, they, you know, they came out real early where the labels didn't really know how to promote urban music like that. They were like one of the first, I hate to use this word, but test dummies, you know, yeah. like crash, yeah. they, they, you know, and so they got caught up in the figuring out of it, you know what I mean? And, but they, they're super talented. You, know? you got that scene. Uh, mm hmm. Uh, the Emotional, man. Crazy. Of course, crazy, right? Unreal. I'm telling you, like it speaks to your spirit, your soul. It's very interesting when 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 a talent can get to that. And to me, I think acapella is what was able to do that. It's not everybody's game. It's very risky to do that. And obviously, this movie's got a very special place in my heart. It's a, it's a great movie about leadership and being able to make a change and somebody that doesn't give up on people. Uh, you guys know about that movie. I don't need to tell you guys about that movie, but it's a powerful movie. You yeah, know, Darnell went to that school. Darnell, you went to that school? And his dad yeah. was guidance counselor and the manager of that group. Joe Clark was my principal right at that time. And it's funny because that school song, every morning, he would have the guys come in and sing it on a loudspeaker. That's how we would start our day, the whole school. How disciplined was the school? How, how, how disciplined was it ran? Well, you know what, man? I mean, Joe Clark got a lot of credit. It made for a good story. And he definitely was kind of like a, you know, one of the people that made it happen. But really, it was like my dad was a social worker, the music teacher, Mr. Nelson, the guidance counselor, Mr. Smith. Yeah, that time was a, man, we had a lot of elders in the community who really gave a damn. You know what I mean? So, of course. Yeah. So, to the know. point where think about somebody at your age with your accomplishments as remembering how they influenced you coming up. Like, imagine how many kids at that age give them respect for being the men and the women that they are today. Yes. You know, sometimes, exactly. you, sometimes influence you put into people. You know, one time one of my teachers called me, my health and guidance teacher. She was emotional. She was having a rough day. She's my pen pal. I'm, I'm her pen pal. We write letters to each other. And she was my health and guidance teacher 27 years ago. She mm -hmm. says, you know, the, these students don't do this and they're not grateful like you guys run all this. I said, I said, Miss Sinclair, man, just think about it. I joined the army because of you. You know, I was a 14 wow. year old kid with a 1.8 GPA and you believed in this kid and you were always respectful, but you challenged the hell out of him. You were tough. She was 4'11". And she never, I'm six, four and a half. I mean, I'm intimidating. I was a bodybuilder back then and she would just come up to me and have the respect. I said, you have to realize I'm a byproduct of you. Look at the impact you made on, on this guy's life. I said, be patient. I promise you, these kids are going to come back and they're going to be grateful for you. We did a special event where we went back and surprised in front of her students and told her how much she means to me and my family. But I relate. I relate on what she may go down as just a health and guidance teacher, but not in my book. Right. She right, right go down right, as a hero right. in my book on what That's she did. So people right. like that I have a lot of respect for. A lot of respect for. How, how do you feel about the uh, current direction where music is going to? Is it something that interests you, like this current R&B and rap kind of a 
pull you in, draw you in like it did back then? You know, it's like, go ahead, D. Go ahead. No, you well, do. it's funny because it's it's interesting. I look at it kind of like a, a a study. You know what I mean? These kids have so much access to information, and it's such a microwave age. You know what I mean? They want to get to the gratification part quick. You know what I mean? So when they're coming from their perspective in their music, that's what it's reflecting. You know what I mean? That our thing, um, like you said, a love song, sitting down, listening to your elders, getting the right game for the right woman, trial and error, you know, all the feelings of puppy love, all mm-hmm. that. Yeah, they just, a couple of texts, you know what I mean? And <laughs> I mean, so it's interesting to just to see for me, how do they approach the internet age and the information age and having access to, you know, life just being so sped up, you know what I mean? How do they turn that into art and music? How do they reflect that in their art? So some of it is kind of like, oh, that is just something totally different than I'm wired to, you know what I mean? And some of it is like, that's interesting, like that. That's pretty interesting, you know? So. I won't say bad or good. It's interesting. I just got to land on interesting. Garfield, <laughs> yeah, what, what, what would you say? I say you know there there are definitely different like epochs, and between each one, in the, in the same genre, even you see music representing like a two way mirror, like a byproduct of your soul, and as reflected by what society is giving it. And those two find a happy medium. And so in this stage, if you look in a bigger picture um, on, on the, the macro scale, there's a lot of convoluted, there's a lot of fast twitch energy, there's a lot of different pieces and places of information and a lot of data at one time you're trying to figure out. And it forces you to see not only the essential real quickly, but to also delegate in terms of you might not know, but you need to know what to find out with who knows. And so it, it doesn't allow for deep tissue kind of interrogation of different kind of like uh, craft like writing and lyrics and stuff like that it it calls for what's the dopest hook what's the dopest way the mm. quickest way i can get your attention drag you in and then swag it out and so as a result you see stuff like mumble rap come into existence um going right along sociologically with you used to be able to say you know what i mean because you were seeking understanding now we've evolved to feel me forget the understanding just can't you feel me so mumble rap just like crump dance and i see the parallels where the expression of it is purely your soul is being, but, but the way it comes across musically, if you're comparing it to an older, you know, version of, of iteration of music, it looks like it's coming up wanting. Just like texting by English teachers look at texting, it's like, oh my God, that's the worst thing you could ever do, all these abbreviations. But the kids, yeah, yeah, but money was a part of it. So you gotta use few characters as possible to still convey meaning. So how do you do that and still be effective? you do what they did. And so that's genius in that, but in the, at the iteration in the time as it's coming from the old way, looks kind of crazy until it finds itself. And now, now it's full out accepted and now it's something that's a thing. But, so I think we're in a, in a growing pain, growing stages of something defining itself to where it can be like a stable spot in whatever this, the, the ocean of craziness around us is. And I think- Very, very well put. Very well put for somebody like me, uh, because you know the way you described it, I made a lot of sense. Uh, on how things have evolved in music. Now, let me ask you this. If somebody is watching this and that they're diehard uh, fans of yours and what you guys did in the 90s, and they're a band, they're going to Morehouse. I don't know, you know, because first of all, you guys went to Howard. Howard's, isn't Howard the number one university for... Mecca. 
Isn't it? Isn't it number one university? African-American leaders come, you know, what that's done. I think you have, what are the schools? Again, correct me if I'm wrong. It's Howard, I think is it's uh, uh, ha uh, Hampton, Morehouse. I'm missing yeah. one other one. The spell is it Spelman? Clark, Clark in Atlanta, like that whole AU center in Atlanta yep. is real yep. I mean, any one of those, any one of those you go to, they, they breed leaders is what oh. they do. They've done a great job breeding leaders. But uh, if a kid's watching this, two, three friends, four friends, they have similar stories. They kind of want to come up in the R&B world today. How different is it today versus your time? Um, well, like you were saying, social media on the, on the business side of it, it allows you to, if you want to put the work in, find, you know, the fan base that you want for what you do. You know what I mean? Um, also, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not in it, obviously. So like I was saying, having life so sped up, you know, to where you don't really get the chance like we did to experience the journey of things, you know what I mean? The trial and error. Of things, you know? Yeah. I really can't speak to any, you know, I can't speak to how they're dealing with being in a more sped up type of, uh, you know, uh, you know, way of life. So I would just say, just be as creative as you can, you know, and do what you do. Well, I, I'll add to that and definitely make sure the product is good. Like I heard a, a, a comedian's interview the other day and they were asking him a similar question. He was like, hey man, just just be funny, right? So for me, make good music, make music that officially reflects who you actually are. So you can stand the test of time and as you evolve that essential part of yourself that was expressed musically won't fade too much because if it's you, it's really you. And the uniqueness of today's artists to go directly to the marketplace without having to deal with a label and the oversight. Because um, in my dissertation, I looked at how black males navigated spaces of inequitable power spaces, looking at black males in classrooms, black males in the label. And on the label, one of the lessons that we've learned dealing with that power is that once we're artists, once we produce an art piece, as soon as it's birthed, it becomes product. It's no longer art for us. And as product, it's part of the business side immediately. And so to understand that, that your art is going to be a product for somebody else to actually cut the check, to have the oversight and all the different processes. If you can control all that within yourself, you can put out a true expression of yourself and the people who resonate to that will resonate to that because it can be consistently given by you to them. And you might not be famous, but you will have a, a core audience that won't waver and you can, you can maneuver that and you can grow that, you can nurture that and you'll control that. And so to own their self, to own your identity is, is key. At the end of the day, it is the product. You make a very good point. If you have a good product, people are going to pay for it. Whether it's a Chappelle, it's a Hart, it's a Bill Burr, Seinfeld, or it's a Shy, it's a Jodeci, it's an Usher, it's a SW. It doesn't matter. If you got a good product, they're going to pay for that. Right. And eventually, someone's going to take notice of you. Guys, this is the last part of the interview. I'll give you a name of a talent, and you tell me, tell me one word that comes to mind. Okay? Really? One word really? that comes to mind. I'll give you a name. You tell me one word that comes to mind. Usher. Talented, youngster, soulful, dancer, good kid, good mama. You said one word, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we knew Usher back when he was coming up. So that's why like, we actually knew the brother when he was a young guy, man. You know, but I would say star. Just Justin star. Bieber. Who would you say? Justin Bieber. Oh, my God. Speechless is a good word. Like, yeah, there you go. He's... he's <laughs> 
uh, iconic enigma. I don't know. That's two words. I don't know. He just transcends. Wow. That's cool, man. That's cool because, uh, you know, sometimes he gets hate. We're families. We're, we're fans of Bieber. It's interesting seeing your take on that. Jodeci. Jodeci. Legendary. 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 Boys to men. Le uh, polished. Polished. Big. Ah, leagues. New edition. That's polished, too. Uh, Ooh, uh, teachers. Legendary-er. Legendary-er. Wow. Yeah. Atlantic <laughs> Star. I'm curious. Atlantic Ooh. Star. Oh, wow. Come on. I listen to Atlantic Star. Special. <laughs> Special, man. Yeah. Jackson 5. Wow. The greatest. Heart dwellers. Marvin Gaye. Ooh. Super classic. This, I, I, this. Yeah. Black Street. Black Street. Oh, we forgot. We didn't even talk about Black Street as well. Family. Family. Yeah, family. Family right there. You know, I probably listened to Black Street's Don't Leave Me Girl. I don't know. I had it on replay when I, I can tell you what month that song came out because I joined the army when that month uh, the, the song came out. Mm. I've listened to repeat. How about 112? Ah, they, when they were before they got a deal, they came to us and sung If I Ever to us. Like, you know, see if we can help put them on or whatever. And blew me away. And that was before I even heard Slim's voice. I heard it was a twin, the other dude to two dudes, but um, soulful. Soulful as hell. Talented, like. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of guys like uh, Love Me or Cupid or they mm -hmm. like uh, Peaches and Cream. I was about It's Over Now. I don't know if you remember It's Over Now. Mm -hmm. Remember over now? What is this? Numbers in your pocket. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah, when yeah. used to throw the, you know, That's a good, cool song. Okay. H-Town. H-Town. Somebody rocking, babe. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> man. Uh, Southern Soul, man. Just Southern Soul. Southern Soul. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are other words to their lyrics, but I'll take Southern Soul. It's cool. Uh, how about Guy? Wow. Oh, original legends, R&B. OGs. OGs, yeah. Original, just OGs. Aaron Hall, he never called me Garfield. He always put an S at the end of my name. <laughs> <laughs> that's my dog. Aaron, All three Aaron Hall. Didn't Aaron Hall, uh, no, that's Uncle Sam, right? Uncle Sam did a song once. Uh, uh, I don't ever want to see you. Uh, do you remember Uncle Sam? When, uh, uh, Man, I forgot about that guy. Yeah, I don't ever want to see. I think he was a one-hit guy, but that one song uh, uh, had a little bit of momentum. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Jagged Edge. Just intense soul, like, you know. They just, let's get married. They just got that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Walked Out of Heaven is number one on my list. How about As Yet? Oh, them dudes can say Underrated. Right? Underrated. Underrated. Right here. Let me tell you, one time we lived in a bus for 30 days. We went uh, 10,000 miles, and our buddy here, Paul Escarciga, sang As Yet on the bus. And uh, after he was done performing, he was still an editor with us. Nobody <laughs> signed him. We thought someone was going to sign him. We thought so, but, but it didn't last a long time. It was a three-minute uh, career. You were talented, man. Yeah, as yet. Both Great song, by the way. Yeah, very good song. Sade. Woo, Sade, I do. With the sweet Mood. back of that band. Mood. Maya. Sensuous. Sensuously polished. 
vegetarian. Yep. Vegan. <laughs> vegan. Tevin yes, Campbell. Tevin Campbell. Oh man. A young, young talent. Phenom, little phenom. Yeah, phenom. Phenomenal. Keith Sweat. Writer extraordinaire. Wow. Right. If you go to Keith Sweat concert, if you go to Keith Sweat show, you will be there for an hour, and every single song for a whole hour will be stuff that you didn't realize he wrote, or and they all hits, like all number one hits, like just a whole night. Another person like that is my man, um, the Billy Ocean. Billy Ocean, yeah, hits, Ooh. hits, man. So yeah, Keith Sweat is responsible for a lot of hits, man. That's yeah, he was responsible yeah. for Silk. I mean, you know, well, so. Keith Sweat was something else. I remember when he came up. Uh, how yeah. about Whitney Houston? Oh, come on, like, you know what I mean? I'll yeah. give a gesture. I'll give a gesture. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, gentlemen, this has been a blast talking to you, man. I really enjoyed it. Where can people find you? If somebody wants to find you and message you, uh, wh wh where should we send them to? Is it Instagram, Twitter, or website, the channel? Where can people find you? It's um, Shiroglyphics on Instagram and Facebook for, for Shy. Um, and then me, like personally, if you want to just come say what's up, the Garfield Bright experiences experience on IG, and Darnell, tell them, shy nineties Darnell. Uh, uh, fellas, once again, this was a blast for me more than anything else. This was Thanks, a blast man. for me. I appreciate you guys. I have so much love for you guys uh, uh, for what you did because you, in my mind, some of my greatest memories in my life. Uh, had your song playing in the background, and I appreciate you guys for taking the time for being a guest on Valuetainment, man. Really, well, thank you, man. I watch this show all the time too, and the content that you do and the way you handle yourself and is dope, man. I appreciate you. Thanks, brother. Yes, appreciate you. Take care, guys. Take care, brother. Bye, bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five star, write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bid David. And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.